Happy Valentine's Day. And for the Catholics in the audience, say uh, we hope it's a reflective Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. for right. you. And, uh, and for the rest of us, if you're looking for a thrill ride, just watch the Dow today because uh, it was... It was a heck it of a mess smooth. yesterday uh, on the open. It was mm. just a, a ride in a submarine. And uh, we'll wait to see. Right now, things look to be trending red, uh, that it's going to open down again after giving up 500 points in more than half of its earnings so far for 2024. And uh, it, it, small stocks really took a big hit. The Russell 2000 really took a, a bath. Uh, we'll see where it opens up. But it was shelter. And consumers will still feel that in their rents. Mm-hmm. Food prices were still a little higher, and they were higher than expected. There had hoped to be you know, core inflation, a little bit higher than expected, all of it leading the market to react. I think the important thing that's still getting lost in this, it was improvement from December. Yes. But it just wasn't as much of an improvement as, as people we thought. thought. They thought it was, it was maybe what, about 2.9 and it was came in at 3.1. 3.1. Yeah. And if you, it was 0.3 month to month and 0.4 instead of 0.3 if you yeah. look at core. Uh, but uh, shelter prices were 0.6 month to month. And that was uh, two-thirds of the increase mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. So we'll wait to see what happens on the market. But, again, it's going to be interesting like everything else. If you're in it for the long haul, don't worry about it. They're going to shake all of this out. Overnight, uh, two interesting uh, uh, votes. One in the House, they did uh, effectively impeach uh, Defense uh, Homeland Security Chief uh, Alexander Mayorkas, Alejandro Mayorkas. He um, becomes the first cabinet official impeached, I think, what, what like 1876 mm-hmm. or yeah, something? Over 100 years. It certainly is highly symbolic. It, it's holding someone to account for the weak border policies of the Biden administration, but he isn't the guy that made him up. He's just the guy that was kind of the front man who Here. failed to acknowledge yeah. them. Wouldn't use the word crisis. Uh, and uh, and for that, he has paid a price. But just in the House, uh, there, if there is a trial in the Senate, uh, we know where that's going to go. Exactly. So, and then also we saw a, a pretty significant vote in New York. We'll talk more about that at 635 mm-hmm. and what that means going forward. But the Democrat candidate with a healthy seven-point win mm-hmm. over his Republican challenger to maintain George Santos' seat. Um, Democrats could have used that seat on the Mallorca's vote. He is going to be sworn in, they believe, tomorrow. So the Republican majority becomes even narrower. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just speaking of sports, kind of a landmark. Um, yes, I was texting you guys about this. I, I this This is a big deal. Many women have broken barriers in sports broadcasting over the years, but this is a huge one. Jenny Kavnar was named the A's lead play-by-play announcer, taking a role in what she will call the majority of the club's game starting this season. She's the first woman in MLB history to serve as a club's primary, regular play-by-play voice. Is this radio or television? I believe, oh, good question. I think radio. Yeah, this is radio, and she, That's huge. she was the Rockies' backup play-by-play announcer. She's done this. She's got a, a great history in TV and, and radio and everything else, and I, I just love this. Yeah. It's a big deal. It I is mean, a big deal. When you see women taking the lead on the morning shows, the Sunday morning shows, yeah. in a news thing, There why are women not in the front offices now of yeah. sports teams. I love this. Go women. Yeah. I'll be interested to hear that. I, I wish... I wish she had a better team to to, <laughs> to talk about. The well, A's are kind of a mess. That's neither here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> are the one, A's, one thing at a time. Are the A's even in Oakland, or are they headed to? Are, they're going to Vegas. They're going to Vegas. Vegas Everybody's going to Vegas. Yeah. 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 And, Poor Oakland A's fans. Uh, Poor Oakland fans. Yeah. 
Because the Raiders left. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Golden State left Oakland and they're in San Francisco now, right? Yeah. They play, play yeah. in San Francisco. I mean, yeah. you remember the A's in the 70s? You probably yeah. you guys don't, but the A's in the 70s were, they, everybody else was their punching bag. They were amazing. Yeah. And then they kind of had that comeback with the Moneyball thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was wild. But, uh, um, we have seen uh, one of, it was interesting. I mean, he seemed to get popular support, but just couldn't convert that to anything to run his campaign. James Craig out. Yeah. Former Detroit Police Chief James Craig halting his Republican Senate bid for Michigan just four months after its launch, citing financial constraints. Craig, a prominent candidate, sought support from uh, former President Trump, but struggled to gain momentum, raising only $60,581 by 2023's end. He now is eyeing Detroit's mayoral race. His exit narrows the GOP field, competing to replace retiring Senator uh, Debbie Stabenow, crowded with contenders like Mike Rogers and Peter Meyer. Rogers leads in fundraising, amassing nearly $2 million. Meanwhile, on the Democratic side, Alyssa Slotkin dominates fundraising, pulling in about $11.7 million. Craig's political journey, as you know, Guy, marred by that 2022 gubernatorial bid that was derailed by fraudulent signatures. You can't just have popular support. You have to be able to put together a campaign, and you have to be able to put together a network of supporters that will underwrite it. Yeah, right. And he just, he seems that he, he had the name recognition. He kind of had the, the legacy and the halo effect of his t- term as, as the chief. police chief, mm-hmm. but he couldn't convert it into the other. His management skills are in question when you look at how his campaigns have gone. Or the people And the people hired. around That's right, the people it, around him. Ex- yeah. yeah, exactly. Because I don't think the signature thing was his fault. The people he hired messed that all up. Right, but he got a do-over on that with this campaign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I don't know if to some degree he was shunned by some uh, campaign professionals who've Felt that he was damaged goods. Or the I mean, big donors who said, mm, maybe yeah. they want to go that um, way. But I don't know how he resurrects, resurrects that for a mayoral campaign, especially wearing this MAGA tag south of 8 Mile. Yeah. I, I just don't know how that's going to convert. Yeah, heavily Democratic Detroit and Wayne County. It's just, yeah. yeah. We, you know, we, we are reminded on a daily basis that we live in a really com- amazing community with an incredibly big heart. And, of course, with yesterday being the first anniversary of the MSU shooting, there were a lot of remembrances, but the one that just caught my attention was the one in Clawson for Alex Werner, who was a rising star. She was a, a basketball player at Clawson High, softball player, and uh, they put together an amazing video. They got together as a community last night on the softball field where she played. Um, the, the basketball court now at the high school bears her name. And Nancy Werner, her mother, just said, this is so important to this family. It's not me who deserves the applause. It's all of you guys that are here. But believe me, we are not standing here. Our family is not standing here without the love and the support of not only our Clawson community, but the community around Michigan. Now think about the grace of that family who has suffered the worst thing a family can suffer. And they made it all about the community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the people that... it is a great community, though. What an amazing! It is. I lived in Royal Oak, and which is kind of you know right next to Clawson. I spent a lot of time in yeah. Clawson, and the people there are great. And great those people. This- and that family chose not to go to Michigan State, even though there were remembrances there, because they wanted to be surrounded by the community, by the, community. By the people that yeah. love them. And yeah. and and her, uh, Alex's dad said, you know, he said every day I am reminded that I have my community support. Clawson is a very small city. And so when I go to work and I see 30 um, 
MSU strong signs on people's front lawn a year later. That means they took that sign down, mowed their lawn, and put it back up. It, it, the strength that it gives me, the, the joy that it brings to me to know that we have that type of support. Nancy and I go to dinner in Clawson. We run into so many people. It's the reason we live here is because of the love and support we have. I just, his ability to make this, to turn this into a tribute to the community. Yeah. Um, what an amazing family. You know, when you go through something like that, you really need all of that support. And, yeah. you know, and the, I'm sure the community brought in that support and they just thanking them. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's grieving differently. Yeah. All mm-hmm. the students at Michigan State had said that. Some of them wanted to be outwardly talking about it. Some want to go inward. Mm-hmm. For the Michigan State campus, you know where they went for support? Tom Izzo. That's where they got support when it happened, and they wanted it again on the year anniversary, Lloyd. Yeah, hundreds uh, gathered at Michigan State University to commemorate that anniversary. And uh, Tom Izzo spoke passionately during a press conference before his departure with his team to take on Penn State tonight, recalling the uh, momentous event and urging remembrances of those who lost their lives. You know, it's one of those things that you kind of remember where you were when you first heard it. And say a prayer for the people that we lost. And he says uh, the resilience of Spartan Nation is is number one. God bless the ones that we lost, the ones that have been affected. And uh, please remember, don't ever forget them. By all means, I encourage everybody to take a pause, remember it, think about what you could do to help make the situation better. Coach Izzo. He, you know, he has become such a leader, not he just has. for MSU, but for the state. Mm-hmm. He's kind of the conscience and the soul. And he said it. He said everybody is. I'm not talking basketball today. We're mm-hmm. just not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. There are things bigger than basketball. And he knows that. And he yes. just talks and off the cuff. Exactly. And you know, it comes from his heart. Yeah. We we're he is greatness. Yeah. yeah. And so is this family. And so yeah. is the community of Clawson. God yeah. love you. 615. Chair, our morning continues when we come back. We've got an election coming up technically on February 27th. That's Election Day, but it will begin nine days earlier. It begins this Saturday. So with all of that early voting going on, those ballots coming in early, how will we secure them? We'll be talking with a leading clerk to answer your questions about election integrity next on JR Morning. In the meantime, had a great dinner last night with our friends at Cruise and Tour. So excited for this trip to Cambodia in Vietnam. We're going to be going to Angkor Wat. Just to give you an idea of what this is, this is an ancient Buddhist temple that dates back to the 1100s. In fact, it may be the largest religious complex on the face of the earth. And it's kind of steeped in mystery and majesty. We're going to be seeing that while we travel up the Mekong River on our very own uh, luxury river boat, just us WJR viewers and members of the WJR Travel Club. And I got to tell you, we talk a lot about the floating villages. We'll see the floating markets, but it's also the vegetation is rich. The farms are rich and there's wildlife, including freshwater dolphins that kind of love to come and say howdy to the boat as it steams its way up the Mekong River. So we hope you'll join us for this WJR Travel Club experience. To learn more, go to WJRTravelClub.com and uh, talk to the folks there. You can find the number. You can also talk to them. Get all your questions answered. And then, by all means, sign up because Gail and I can't wait to see you in September when we leave for the adventure of a lifetime. Southeast Asia.
We will be headed off to the polls. The official date of the primary election is February 27th. But because of uh, the ballot proposal that Michigan voters passed back in uh, 2020, we we can get to the polls a lot sooner. I think we've got nine days of early voting in uh, many municipalities. And uh, how does that change things? How do we do that? Well, our Michigan clerks have been hard at work making sure that they're prepared for these changes. Among them, Justin Roebuck, the Ottawa County clerk who joins us live this morning. Mr. Roebuck, thanks for being with us. Hey, you bet. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. So there's the the, the traditional Tuesday vote on the 27th, but there are several days. When, when can we actually file that first ballot? Is it this Saturday? Yeah, that is right. This Saturday, the 17th of uh, February is the beginning of early voting across the state of Michigan. So different municipalities have different hours across the state in terms of the open hours of early voting. Um, so you can go uh, you can go online at michigan.gov slash vote and find out you know, where you can go to vote early. But essentially, this is going to look like voting in a precinct. Very, very similar. You, you know, you check in, you get issued a ballot, you can cast it in the tabulator yourself and Michigan voters will have nine days. So from the, uh, the 17th through the 25th of February to do that. Justin, uh, did you, I know a lot of other um, uh, clerks said they uh, were frustrated about the delay on the software updates, <clears throat> excuse me, involving especially the qualified voter file. Did, did you have a delay and is that installed and you ready to go? It is. It is installed. It is ready to go. And I think, you know, this has been an amazingly tight timeline throughout this entire process. It's kind of funny, you know, you think about, well, 2022 when this ballot initiative passed, but it was actually almost July of last year, uh, July of last year before the legislature sort of gave us the implementing legislation for, okay, how is this actually going to look, you know, and from that point on, uh, the, the state has been working very hard on the process of ensuring that we have, you know, everything that we need in terms of the qualified voter file. It's important because it's, this is a live database, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of security elements into it. But we need it to be live because we want to make sure that it's only one vote, one person, right? So, you know, if someone comes in and votes early, we want to make sure that they don't go again during another day of early voting or you know, try to cast a ballot on Election Day. So there's a lot of security uh, procedures involved in this. And, you know, we're confident that this is going to go well uh, on on Saturday for sure. But it was a very tight timeline. <laughs> yeah, Justin, I was going to ask you about keeping things transparent, secure, safe as we go to the polls, however we do it. How can you tell people out there it's safe? Yeah, great question. I think that is so important. I mean, it's very important for our voters to trust the system. You know, we have so many different elements of checks and balances in Michigan elections and really elections all over the country. You know, first and foremost, this is a pretty transparent process. Uh, the public is invited into this process in so many different levels of our elections. The election themselves, you know, anyone can, can view the process happening from a public viewing area of every single precinct, which includes our early voting centers. Um, the public is also encouraged to come and watch the process as we test our equipment, for example. So here in Ottawa County, we're in a collaboration agreement with our local units of government. So the county is essentially facilitating early voting here. And we held a public test last week, Monday, where we invited members of the public to observe the whole process, really walk through that with them. And we had several people there, which was encouraging. 
So I think transparency is a big deal. It's also important to note that elections are bipartisan. So every single election that we have, there are members of both major political parties at the table doing the work. Mm-hmm. And that's really critical for um, you know, the, the, the transparency and the trust in the operation as well. So I think those are a couple of key components of that. So in, in the minds of, of us lay people, you know, we look at Election Day, we know that we put our ballot into that little thingy that sucks it up and puts it to the lock bucket, and then you guys transmit that back for the count. But it's all done in a day under lock and key with, with in that precinct. If you got nine days of voting, that's nine days yeah. that you've got to secure those paper ballots from skullduggery and, you know, malfeasance of some kind. How do you do that? Yeah, great question, and I think that's, you know, that's an important element of this, right? We have to get this security piece right, and the process is pretty locked down, you know, in terms of the requirements on the the storage of the materials that are secured, Um, you know, every single day. You're absolutely right. In an election, you know, all of that stuff is boxed up, sealed up, and returned to the local clerk, uh, the city or township on election night. This is a little bit different, but we have many security measures in place. So, for example, the following morning, as, as the materials are locked in a stored, uh, they're sealed and they're locked in storage rooms that are limited access only to the, you know, a uh, few election officials surrounding uh, the process. And then at the, at the beginning of the day, in, in the public, in, in precinct, uh, with a bipartisan team, we are verifying the seals that were placed on the ballots the night before. And so before we ever begin that process on Election Day, we're, we're verifying a bunch of steps. Uh, you know, what happened the previous day? Where, where was the tabulator total yesterday before we closed down, and where is it this morning? And so there are a lot of verification steps, and we've just completed uh, several days of training for our early voting uh, team here in Ottawa County. And I think, you know, I am more encouraged even than I was a few months ago in terms of the number of steps that we have in place to ensure the integrity of this process. And, Justin, I I know that uh, you you have people come in and watch you guys and see what you guys are doing. You're talking about all of the security measures that you have. But how quick can that flip around after all the work that you are, you guys are doing to keep things safe? How quick can that flip around if a candidate comes out and starts saying, well, you know, this is this is fraud because I didn't win. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important because I think, you know, we all as citizens in our democracy have a responsibility to look at facts, to look at data. I mean, my my job right in elections as a clerk is a very data driven job. And we like to look at data and facts and see, okay, where was if, if there is a problem, where was that problem? It can be documented, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, there there is a there is a pull, a natural pull, probably in human nature, to say, well, I lost this something, something must be wrong. And it is so important; it's a responsibility we have as citizens to look at the facts and look at the reality before we start making accusations. And it's so important because. You know, election, I do this every day, but I often tell our team, like, there's a lot of normal human beings out there with lives and, you know, kids and families and work, and we're busy, right? You know, I don't expect everyone to know the ins and outs of election law, 
Mm-mm. So it, it becomes really important that before we make a uh, an accusation that we have the facts right and we, we're all responsible in our community for uh, for doing that. So, it is, but when Facebook is filled with, you know, doubt wow. and accusations, yeah. and, and that's where so many people, instead of listening to trusted officials like you, Justin, are now getting their news from a neighbor with, with, with that may want yeah. to sow. Well, then go down and watch the process. There you he go. Said, You're welcome. Right. That, that's so true, right? That's so encouraging. And we encourage so many people to do that. Like, hey, sign up. If you have questions about the security and integrity of the ballots, you actually have an ability to be the one of the people who signs off on the ballot field at night. You know, sign up and be an election worker. You even get paid. So, And how about doing that before you forward and share it on social media? <laughs> right, right, right. right, exactly. <clears throat> oh, we can only hope that, yeah, that cooler heads will prevail. We do so appreciate. We know it's been an arduous process, since the, since, and, and you corrected me. It wasn't 2020 ballot proposal. It was 22. Uh, for the hard work that's gone into this on behalf of all the clerks. Uh, we, would, we just want to say thank you. Uh, Lots of things happening on the political front that have been interesting overnight. This uh, New York 3rd District on Long Island, um, this is George Santos' old seat. It's it's just one race, but by God, all the talking heads are putting an incredible amount of, of spin on this this morning. Of course, Democrats are saying this shows that we have credibility on immig- on immigration because he came out, the former congressman, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Swasey, who won by more than seven points, um, you know, made a very passionate, late, aggressive statement on on uh, strengthening the southern border. But it's like, OK, you had two terms in Congress. Where was your concern then? Yeah. Um, so does, is this really an endorsement that when it comes to the upcoming congressional election and maybe presidential elections that Democrats can flip the script? I, I think so. I, I personally think that the fact that the border security bill was dead on arrival in the House was a problem and that the Democrat who won hammered it home. You said this was such a big deal. Look at what New York State and right. New York City looks like right now. And nothing was done. That's what I think. How much do you think, uh, Guy, the the weather played in that? Because they had a snowstorm yesterday, and did that keep people away? It could have depressed turnout, but I don't think that would have made a big difference between Republicans and Democrats. I think, especially when you look at the money that was spent in that district. Oh, it was huge. It was huge. Uh, especially, the, you know, the GOP super PAC. I and think. they have to run again in a couple months. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Just, this is an 11-month <laughs> Band-Aid for mm-hmm. that seat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was, you know, the, the, the reaction among Trump detractors was uh, very predictable, saying it's another seat down the drain because uh, magination is a huge burden on in general elections, that it's just not working. Nikki Haley came out and said uh, this is another example of MAGA failures. And until we put this behind us, we're not going to move forward on races like this. Um, but she was, to some extent, the Republican, a flawed candidate, didn't have much of a resume. Um, she and she was kind of all over the place on abortion. Yeah, I um, think that was a big deal, too. But to your point, I, you know, Tom Swasey said in, in his remarks last night, um, this is a repudiation for the electorate saying, we want you to go to Congress and do something and to serve the people, not just Donald Trump taking a, a a poke at those Republicans in the House who abandoned this bipartisan border bill mm-hmm. that objectively, when you looked at it, was significantly tougher than what we have now. And 
there is a migrant crisis in that state and it really is affecting a lot of people. That was like top of mind of everyone. And for that bill to not even like go to conference in the House is a problem. Yeah. But here's the hypocrisy of the Democrats talking about the border in New York. You wouldn't give a continental goodbye. You know what? (laughs) About the border, was was it not for Governor Abbott sending those migrants your way so that you could feel the pain that all of our border communities feel? 100%. I agree. So, you know, spare me your indignation about the border because this is just new to you. And it's very self-serving. You didn't give a hoot when it was the southern states that were paying the price for this. Well, it was too far away. And it capi- so, so it again, capitalized on it because it's happening right there and people are upset. And so that helped. Uh, him. But it is, you know, you can you can read too much into that election. Uh, but the one thing that you can't undo is it just made the, the majority for the GOP in the House much narrowing. They needed Steve Scalise to come back from cancer treatment. By the way, I saw him mm-hmm. yesterday on an interview. Thank God the man looks pretty good. You good. talk about a guy good. who's had... He's been through a lot. Oh, my has. God. Is there anybody else in the world of politics that has had more misfortune heaped upon them between the attack on the ball yard and the these, you know, dis- disabling injuries he sustained? Yeah. And then having this battle. I mean, he could have just said, forget it. Yeah. yeah. I, I tell you, though, for those that said that, that he was too sick to be speaker... If you look, he hasn't been front and center much. He has put his energies toward beating cancer, which is where those energies belong. Uh, Haley, Nikki Haley, uh, all guns blazing when it comes to Donald Trump. You got to wonder where that was six months ago. She's found her voice when it comes to attacking Donald Trump. And perhaps if she would have done this earlier, she would be more in this primary race. But first and foremost, she is She's going to do a one-on-one on the Today Show coming up. But this was a preview last night on Nightly. And she said what Trump said about NATO is unacceptable. If you don't know the value of our men and women in uniform, if you don't know the sacrifice that they go through, why should I, as a military spouse and all our military families, trust you to know you're going to keep them out of harm's way? If you are saying you're going to side with Putin, that I know is going to cause a war, not stop a war. Why would any military family feel like you could go and keep our men and women protected? Because you can't. We have people on the wall in Europe, right? Not that there's a wall there anymore, but metaphorically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, And he said that he would encourage an invasion against one of those countries. There are Americans serving Absolutely. There There are Americans everywhere and there are NATO allies. There's democracy. There's free, you know, democracy all over the place that is in jeopardy if you just let Putin do whatever he wants. Does he he think, you know, that's going to win him favor with with Putin? I don't know. No, but well, you know, it's going to be. Here's the interesting thing. We we, we, uh, Blinken had a discussion with Paul Whelan, I believe it was, if not yesterday, the day before and told him we're still working on this. Can you see if, if Trump's elected Putin releasing both Gershkovitz and uh, and Whalen? Possibly. Oh, yeah. Kind of a, a the, you know, the, 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 you know, an olive branch mm-hmm. and to give Trump a victory from jump. Yep. It'd be very similar to what the hostage takers did in it, Iran. Mm-hmm, with, when, uh, with Carter. Right? Uh, with Carter. You know, when Carter was defeated, the day that uh, Reagan took the oath, those yep. hostages were released. Mm-hmm. Um We'll 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 see what happens. There. Mid, in the meantime, Nikki Haley yesterday was on the Hugh Hewitt show. He had come out with an op-ed in, <clears throat> on Fox News, saying that given the her report, 
that not only should uh, Joe Biden step away from his campaign for re-election and allow somebody else to run, but that he should resign, that his competence has become such a crippling issue and has weakened us against our allies his, he, that it could make Putin more provocative, Middle, Middle East terrorists more provocative, um, certainly in our, make our allies more nervous that it's gotten to that point, which, of course, begs the question, really, you would rather see Kamala Harris well, as next, yeah, president, going to say that. Um, who who said in one of like the least effacing, self-effacing moments in political history, told the Wall Street Journal that she is prepared to serve as president, and said everyone who sees me in the job walks away fully aware of my capacity to lead. Yeah, like you led on the border. Her, I you need to get in a submarine to visit her approval numbers. I mean. <laughs> They couldn't be worse. So, you know, I don't know if that's an upgrade, but here's what she said about whether or not Biden should resign. This is Nikki Haley. Yes, I do. And I think the Democrat Party knows that. And I think that it is not just in the best interest of their party. It's in the best interest of the country. What I will tell you, and I've said this from the very beginning, the party that gets rid of their 80-year-old candidate is the party that will win. Now, she was asked, "Okay, but you realize this would make Kamala Harris the president of the United States would also give her a a head start on the run for the nomination in 24. Mm -hmm. What about that? I don't think Kamala Harris can handle it, but I don't know that she's any worse or better than Joe Biden. I mean, right now you look at the leadership there. It's it's terrible no matter what you do. But the idea that Russia, China and Iran can see that we have a, you know, mentally diminished president is is a threat to all Americans because right now what keeps me up at night is what happens between now and election day. Do we base the president's future? I mean, the, the, I think that her report was valuable, but it was not clinical. He's not a psychologist, and he was he was using the president's poor memory to justify not charging him. This right. was not a medical document no. or a, a psychological evaluation. This is his no. opinion but as an attorney. But these people have been talking about this on, you know, the narrative is, has been this. And, and, now, and, and then when they put it on paper, even though he's not a doctor, now it's in this report. Now it's like, okay, we have something here. Yeah. But it's not a doctor's report, but it's been black and white. Here's what I think. It, I think it's from a political calculus standpoint for Nikki Haley and, and those that support this. It is There is some brilliance in it. If you were to make, and it's not going to happen, but if you were to make Kamala Harris president right now, that boxes out Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer, and other Democrats who would probably be a stronger candidate in November 24. So, mm-hmm. yeah, put her in there. Give her a head start. I think this I think is from so a Republican, yeah. I, It is. It is. But listen, but we will be hearing more about it. This is now Republican strategy. Keep the president's mental competence oh, on the front sure. page. Oh, absolutely. From get, now until November. Get yes. the her yeah. transcript. Make yes. a lot of hay out of it. We're going to be talking about that strategy, whether it can be successful with Jason Rowe and uh, the other, and the Craig exit from the Senate campaign. Much more to talk with Jason about, the former executive director of the Michigan GOP, next on JR Morning at 649. So after the disastrous Friday news conference where the president... Um, tried to show his mental acuity in the face of Robert Hur's special counsel report questioning it. Um, after that White House disaster, he has been trotted out, will be trotted out again today in carefully scripted moments to show that he is on point. Whereas Republicans will be calling for transcripts and engaging in a strategy to try to show 
the opposite. You got to ask yourself: Does this help us as a country to show and expand on our fearless leaders' diminished capacity? Or is I mean, in the forties, we didn't do that to Roosevelt. We didn't do no. that to Wilson. And during World War One, are we shooting ourselves in the foot by doing that for political purposes? And, for, and Reagan had and issues at the end too. Sure. And, yeah. Sure. And so all of it begs the question: Where are we going here? Also, the the uh, New York election that happened yesterday, a congressional seat falling to the Democrats for the Republicans. What does it all mean? Jason Rose standing by. He is the principal of Rose Strategic and former executive director of the Michigan Republican Party. Jason, good morning. Top of the morning and happy Valentine's Day. As to you and uh, Democrats getting a big heart yesterday from uh, from the electorate there, I, there's a tendency with these single seat special elections to try to overanalyze. But what do you think it means? Well, I, I mean, the reality is this is a heavily Democratic seat that Joe Biden won by eight points, um, a, a a former Democratic congressman was the Democratic nominee. He uh, recently ran for governor of New York. This is the most expensive media market in the country. And Republicans recruited a Democrat to be <laughs> the Republican nominee with little name ID. And the spending uh, disparity was overwhelming. So for Republicans to win that seat would have really been a miracle to begin with. And I think that's a mistake Republicans have been making in 2023. There was a lot of enthusiasm about taking control of the legislature in Virginia, the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania, um, you know, uh, the governor's race in Kentucky. None of those historically had been uh, opportunities for us. And so we, we hitched our wagon to mm-hmm. our optimism and reality set in and then everybody was disappointed. So I wouldn't read too much into the New York outcome uh, last night. How much did the did the border situation play in uh, the election? Uh, and knowing that New Yorkers uh, have uh, you know all of these immigrants that are coming in and being shipped to them from uh, Texas, and you know that's on people's mind. And the fact that they kind of blew that border deal uh, in Congress. I think it, uh, immigration was a factor, but I also think the Democratic candidate uh, handled it uh, smartly. He embraced the Senate bill which for you know whoever on the right is unsatisfied, uh, certainly on its surface looks like a good compromise that would certainly be better than what we have right now. So I think by embracing the Senate bill and accusing Republicans of being unserious about dealing with border security, I think he carved himself out a, a safe spot where those folks that cared about immigration did not see him as hostile to border security but, you know, constructive. So I, I think they played it well in that. And you're probably going to see a lot of Democrats around the country attach themselves to that Senate bill to look like um, they are trying to find solutions, whereas Republicans are being obstructionists. Uh, in that same vein, then, how do you think it plays politically that the House narrowly impeaches the Homeland Security Secretary? I mean, some people are going to say, why are you doing that right now? We need real solutions. You know, it it is obviously a very unprecedented move. Um, They failed to to get enough votes to do it last week. Um, It'll certainly draw more attention to the issue. You know, and I think, you know, just looking at what's happening in this country, um, you know, in in, in non-border cities, you know, as you as you referred to the New York, New York situation. I mean, you've got the New York mayor out there publicly criticizing the Biden administration. I think most Americans are scratching their head and asking themselves, why are we not doing something? Because we clearly are not doing anything to staunch the 
flow of illegal immigrants into uh, our country through the southern border. So, you know, I think there will be some satisfaction with an impeachment of Mayorkas, um, and it'll certainly raise the political stakes, but I still think that Democrats are going to attach themselves to that Senate bill, and they're going to attach themselves to this impeachment and accuse Republicans of being more interested in political theater than in doing something about the border situation. You know, I know President Trump has made references to the fact um, that, you know, a border deal would be a win for Democrats and to hold off so that Republicans can deliver it, um, you know, when he becomes president, if he becomes president. Um, you know, that might be good politics for him, but I don't know that uh, Americans want to go uh, another, you know, 11 months with dealing with the situation that we're dealing with. Jason, um, Axios with a scoop yesterday that House Republicans behind closed doors are working with what may be a months long strategy to undermine the perception of President Biden and specifically his mental state that they will subpoena the the transcripts of the interviews where his uh, memory vulnerabilities were on display, that this will be a headline that they are going to try to make sure is there every day. Smart strategy or or at some point. Does it backfire because you're diminishing the stature of whether he's your leader or not, the president of the United States? Will you look well, un-American? Yeah, no, and, and, and I take your points uh, at the beginning of, of this conversation about uh, undermining the presidency and the president when he has to deal with world leaders and, and, and with our significant domestic problems. But at the same time, uh, you know, Democrats – are the ones that are allowing a man with obviously diminished uh, capacity to continue to be um, their nominee for president. I mean, I've said to you before on this show that I don't think that he will ultimately be the nominee. I still don't believe that. I think when we get past Super Tuesday, there will be, uh, I think, some serious conversations about what risk there is to holding the presidency um, winning back the House and, and taking the Senate or and holding the Senate for for Democrats, and are they willing to do that out of deference? Um, you know, the her report didn't reveal anything that every American can't see just by watching the news. <laughs> yes. I mean, this has been a multiple times every week story because Joe Biden makes it a story. I think the impulsive press conference that he did to respond to it, you know, clearly was intended to um, staunch the bleeding. But all it did was expose a lot of the things that uh, Special Prosecutor Herr uh, stated in his report. So this is not new. It's not going away. Uh, as bad an idea as uh, uh, President Biden doing that press conference, an even worse idea was for Donald Trump to then, uh, in the midst of all of yes. that, um, then go out and talk about you know inviting Russia to invade NATO and. Right telling NATO to pound sand yeah. and, and criticizing Nikki Haley's. He steps on his own positive headlines, right? And, and you know, sometimes you wonder is, he, can he just not stand the spotlight to not be on him? Or was this, you know, a diabolical plan to shift attention back to him and away from Biden's shortcomings because he doesn't want Biden to be replaced on the ticket because that's the candidate he most wants to face. So, you know, maybe we're the dummies and he's the brilliant one. But it certainly changed uh, the conversation, at least for a day or two. Jason, thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it'll be trotty. It was a bloodbath on Wall Street yesterday after that uh, CPI report down more than 500 points, giving up more than half of the earnings that we've seen so far in 2024. Will we see a bounce back? That's kind of been the... 
that's been the route that we've taken. But looking at the futures numbers right now, DJ, S&P, NASDAQ, Russell 2000, all trending lower on the open. So we'll see what happens. But buckle your seatbelts because it could be interesting after uh, this, this inflation report that shows progress, but not the rate of progress that we had hoped for. Meantime, I got to tell you, you look around town, uh, it's a good time to be in the demo business. We were tearing down the old YMCA building in Detroit. We've got Pasquale's being torn down in Royal Oak and then Marvelous Marvin's in West Bloomfield. But you're telling me there's a chance. Well, Marvelous Marvin's Mechanical Museum faces that uncertain future with plans for its demolition looming despite its 43-year history as a Farmington Hills staple. Jeremy Yagoda, whose father founded the arcade, expressed some sadness over the potential loss, reminiscing about the countless memories created within Mm. its walls. It hurts, I mean, because it's taken a long time to make this place look like it does. Now, Jeremy will be joining us here on JR Morning at 819 to talk more about this, but, you know, he's exploring alternative options, hoping that uh, he can keep it going. I mean, it's a great place. I mean, it's no other place like Meyer has some of the most astute management in the state of Michigan. I've got to know that if they want to create a special place there and make that Meyer set it apart from absolutely the rest, you give that guy well, a Well, they've space. been offering him space. Yeah. And, I mean, can you imagine for birthday parties, one-stop shopping, you go to the Meyer's Bakery, you pick up the cake, and you go right next door to Marvin Marvin. <laughs> there Marvelous you go. Marvin's. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about, I haven't talked about sports in a while because, you know, the Lions are do we, done. Yeah. Do we really want to talk about what happened yesterday? Unfortunately, <laughs> everybody lost. Michigan basketball has been tough this year anyway, but they lost to Illinois 97-68. The Red Wings lost to the Oilers 8-4. to Connor McDavid had six assists. And the Pistons lost to the Lakers 125-111. And as Jeff Rieger tweeted, Detroit, Michigan outscored 230-183. so it was a tough day for sports but pitchers and catchers everybody casey mize is looking great the first official workout is today for the tigers and craig monroe's coming up he's a top analyst for valley sports he'll be at 735 i'm really excited for simo he uh he's gotten a promotion and he's going to be playing a much more active role in the telecast one of the best dressed guys he, his suits. He is. Yes. He yeah. is. It's all that's worth tuning in sometime. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Plus, I got to tell you, my youngest son was a was a uh, an intern at Fox Sports Detroit several years ago, and he came back and said, you know, first of all, John Keating's a great guy. We knew that. He said, you know, Simo, man, he was just so nice to me, and he didn't have to be. I'm just this lowly intern, but he said Craig was just a great. Guy. He's great. So let's hear from him and see what he's up to at seven thirty five. Did you see what happened in San Francisco? There's a, like a mob rule going on there. And um, a, a Waymo car, uh, however you feel about self-driving vehicles, they're operating on the streets of San Francisco. It is permitted. They've, they've had some hiccups. We yeah. expected that. There's going to be a learning curve for the car and the populace that has to drive around them. But when this dope on a skateboard runs into the vehicle, he decides that's the vehicle's fault. He starts beating on the vehicle. I saw that with his skateboard. With his skateboard. Mm-hmm. Others join in. Someone throws some firecrackers inside the, the busted window. Well, now the entire car, which heaven knows how much it's worth, is on fire. Now you got firefighters that have to come and risk their lives to put out that fire. There are businesses nearby that were obviously, uh, you know, you've, you've created a mess. Well, we don't have any suspects in that case yet. 
Mm-hmm. This is just, it's this reaction, this, and to, to his credit, the a guy named Aaron Peskin, who's president of the Board of Supervisors, says this was terrible. It was extremely dangerous. Buildings could have been set on fire. Uh, people have good, been hurt. And he said this was the, the, the Chinese Lunar New Year. So there was a lot of people yeah. downtown, thousands of tourists giving this city yet another black eye. And they already look like Rocky at the end of number one. <laughs> well, you know what? There's video all over social media of this. Why can't you get some suspects? Exactly. There's cameras there's, everybody, yeah, everywhere. Everybody's exactly. got a camera. But there's just this kind it, it just lends this notion as we have this national debate about uh, law and order. The, these more liberal areas that have just allowed themselves to, uh, you know, yes, violent crime may be declining, but property crimes and just the sense of lawlessness mm-hmm. continues to be a problem. Speaking of which, Republicans, you know, I, you get, I get a lot of releases from uh, House Republicans mm-hmm. in, in Lansing, and they're justifiably upset right now. They're neither in the majority nor the minority. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of this stalemate where nothing is happening. And they said, just speak to your state, look, you said that we have this package of bills that were bipartisan that we could be acting upon. Now, why aren't you acting? And Representative Mike Harris, and, and perhaps we'll have him on, he's a retired Waterford police sergeant, said, look, we approved a bipartisan safety and school mental health plan a year ago. It was introduced by the bipartisan commission that was established after the Michigan State and Oxford shootings. Mm-hmm. And, and the, I talked to folks that served on that commission. They said it truly was bipartisan. It was very, everybody was on the same page. Mm-hmm. And they yielded some good things about mental health and okay to say and, and um, recommendations for how to move forward with school resource officers and give them support. And it's just sat there. I think it's about 20 different bills that aren't getting any action. And, you know, some of this is to light a fire and to, to say that the, the Democrats aren't playing fair. But to his point, he said there is there are things we could get done for the Michigan residents right now. And for whatever reason, you're sitting on them. And uh, we may be nobody saying even they split. But these are things. Yeah. And that's that's a that's a good question for Speaker Tate. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we haven't heard anything from him on this. We'll be asking some of those questions. Uh, and, and we're going to still hope that Marvelous Marvins comes through for us. When we come back, uh, we're going to be getting the latest on the foreign aid package that was passed in the Senate. What is the future in the House? What does yesterday's congressional vote in New York mean for the razor-thin majority uh, with the GOP in the House? Fox News radio correspondent Ryan Schmelz next on JR Morning at 719. But first, WJR Business with Jeff Sloan, brought to you by Shelving.com. We rack your world. Let's check in with the CEO and founder of Startup Nation. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Guy, Lloyd, Jamie. Of course, today is the annual day in which, more than any other day, we celebrate love. It's Valentine's Day, and the price we pay to celebrate it keeps going up. Information released by the National Retail Federation provides an overview of just how much we're spending this year and what we're spending it on. This year, Valentine's Day, according to the annual survey released by the National Retail Federation and Prosper Insights and Analytics, is expected to reach a record $14.2 billion in spending here in the U.S. Now, over half of U.S. consumers, 53% to be exact, plan to celebrate Valentine's Day this year. Deeper Insight shows consumers expect to spend about $186 each on average this Valentine's Day. That's nearly $8 more than Valentine's Day last year. The top gifts this year, candy, 57%, greeting cards, 40%. 
Flowers, 39%. And evening out, 32%. And jewelry, 22%. New spending records are expected for jewelry, by the way. $6.4 billion spent on jewelry this year. Proper Insights and Analytics Executive Vice President of Strategy Phil Riss said this, We're also seeing continued interest this year in gifts of experience, with about one-third of consumers planning to give that kind of gift this year. Now, while online continues to be the most popular destination to shop for Valentine's Day gifts, about 40% of people will shop online. That's up from 35% last year, by the way. Consumers also plan to head to department stores. About a third of them will do their shopping there. Discount stores will get about 31% of the total spend. And florists, about 17% of people will do their buying at florists this Valentine's Day. Wherever you do yours, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, the source for everything you need to start and grow your own business. And that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. With the U.S. Senate greenlighting $95 billion in assistance for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, the spotlight is on how this crucial legislation navigates its way through the House. But there are some formidable hurdles ahead. Let's uh, get the lowdown on the ins and outs of this aid package, the roadblocks it faces, and what it means to Ukraine, especially as the tensions in Russia escalate and those supplies start running low. Joining us on the JR Morning Live line is Ryan Smells, Fox News radio correspondent and WJR contributor. Ryan, welcome back to JR Morning. Always great to be on, Lloyd. How are you? I'm great. And it seems like uh, Speaker Johnson uh, wants to sit down and have a face-to-face with President Biden before he takes up this aid package in the House. What is it that he thinks he needs to get from the president before he can take it up? Right. So I haven't heard specifically on what Speaker Johnson wants to talk with the president about. But what I have learned from a source familiar is that Speaker Johnson has requested on multiple occasions meetings one-on-one with President Biden uh, to talk about issues that include border security. And this has been going on apparently since early January. So whether or not President Biden would agree to that meeting uh, and what specifically that meeting would entail, we do not know. But we know that uh, Speaker Johnson has requested this meeting. And this is something that I think a growing number of House Republicans are wanting Speaker Johnson to do. They feel that the best course forward, especially if you're somebody who wants to see border policy reforms and you still support aid to Ukraine and Israel, uh, this might be the best path forward to getting this thing passed. When you talk about, you know, uh, tying the border into it, I mean, what would he ask for? Uh, good question. You know, I, I think he, I think H.R. 2 is Republicans talking point. Uh-huh. So H.R. 2 was, was the bill that Republicans passed last year uh, that essentially has a number of Trump-era policies that they would bring back. So it would end catch and release. Uh, would make asylum more uh, difficult to claim. You would have uh, remain in Mexico that's brought back, and you bring back border wall construction. So those would be, I think, the starting point for Republicans, and then they would probably have to negotiate what the administration's willing to give them and what they're not willing to give them, uh, and then go from there. Uh, Ryan, what is the feeling in the House as a seat has flipped to the Democrats in that special election? Well, let's just put it this way. Republicans dodged a bullet because uh, – Yesterday, they voted to impeach uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. They won that vote by one person. And that's because Majority Leader Steve Scalise came back from his cancer treatments and was able to cast that deciding vote that flipped this for Republicans and allowed them to uh, impeach Secretary Mayorkas. If Tom Suozzi uh, had been given one more day and they would have held this vote on Wednesday or Thursday, they probably wouldn't have had the votes to do this. 
So Republicans got lucky here that they were able to get this impeachment vote done before this special election went down. It was symbolic. It shows some accountability, um, especially for someone that wouldn't even call the border situation a crisis. But at the end of the day, what was accomplished there and what happens to this impeachment when it goes to the Senate? Well, from what we understand with the impeachment is that uh, Leader Schumer's office has said that they will have an impeachment trial. So the impeachment manager selected by Speaker Johnson will go before the Senate. They will make their case for impeachment. Uh, and then the Senate will vote on whether or not to impeach uh, Secretary Mayorkas or not. And based off the makeup of, of how it's run, it looks like that that vote is ultimately going to fail. In terms of, you know, we, we've heard uh, reports from Axios and elsewhere that House Republicans are going to be keeping the president's cognitive issues front and center in the headlines. They want transcripts of the her interviews with him. They want to see in print just how badly the president performed or at least be able to uh, put that forward. Um, is What else are you hearing about that? that effort and that kind of uh, that that public strategy. relations campaign and strategy. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, from what I understand, I do believe they want to have Robert Hur speak at some point, either before Congress or in, in a deposition. And I, I think this might be something Democrats are interested in, too. And that's because Democrats have really been critical of Robert Hur and some of the accusations that he's made uh, in that report. And I think the one part that really ticked off a lot of Democrats was the 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 bringing up of Joe Biden's son, Beau, and questioning if he, you know, remembered how, when his son passed away and all that. Democrats have really taken that personally, and there have been some serious, serious pushback mm. towards Robert Hur's report over that accusation. So, you know, Democrats are, are still uh, strongly believing that that President Biden does have the mental capacity to be president, and you're seeing some Democrats, and Joe Manchin's one of them. So he's he's probably a rare case. He's raised questions about both of them. You know, yeah, but raised, be oh, careful sorry. about opening that Bo Biden door because, you know, the president also misremembers how his son died. Uh, you know, he will say that he, he died in Afghanistan. I, so you know, there that, that opens up a, a, a Pandora's box of other issues. And, and, and Ryan, right. how does how does the president combat this? I mean, having more press conferences and, and talking to. The, the media, and I'm sure his people don't really like that, but how do you combat this whole memory lapse thing if, you know, you don't talk to the media and, and have these right. conversations? And take questions. Yeah. Well, he, he, had, he had a moment with Peter Ducey that I think a lot of Democrats liked not too long ago where he had a nice little one-liner in there with my colleague, uh, which, I mean, some might see it as an insult. And then, and then you know, he's going to be on the campaign trail more often. That's the reality of it. So he's going to be giving speeches out there in the public in front of big crowds. And, you know, some of the Democrats I've talked to still believe that he's capable of giving some really strong speeches. You know, mm -hmm. back around the early January time, he gave uh, what they believe were two really good speeches regarding January 6th uh, and attacking Donald Trump. But then, of course, there's always that double edged sword where President Biden can have some really good moments on the campaign trail or some really strong speeches. But then he's one gap away from all those questions about his memory and his mental capacity from coming right back up. And, and that's the reality that President Biden has to face when he's, you know, running as somebody who's already in his 80s. But, you know, Democrats like to push back on, on former President Trump over this, too. You know, uh, now, you know, and Democrats have another weapon in the fact that Nikki Haley's on the campaign trail pointing out that former President Trump has mixed her up with uh, Speaker Pelosi multiple times now. So that's something that Democrats are probably going to point to and saying, well, you can say this about our candidate, but we can say this about yours, too. 
and a lot of Democratic strategists have said, use Nikki Haley's comments in ads for you because she's attacking President Trump harder than she ever has. Yeah, certainly. And, and of course, you know, Democrats have to feel those questions about, you know, Dean Phillips on the campaign trail challenging President Biden. You know, you have the idea of Joe Manchin potentially throwing his hat in the race. So, I mean, the, the inner party attacks are not going to be uh, something that these candidates are going to be able to to totally avoid. Uh, but, you know, you have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's a progressive Democrat and somebody who could be key to getting the youth vote for Democrats still strongly uh, defending President Biden and standing by him, even though she doesn't agree with him on every issue. Ryan Smells, Fox News radio correspondent and WJR contributor. Thank you so much, as always, for being here. Hey, have a good one. Thank you for having me on, as always. And coming up, uh, he'll be the uh, lead analyst this season for the Tigers, as the Tigers and pitchers, uh, the Tigers pitchers and catchers, they have reported to Lakeland. Let's talk about it with Craig Monroe coming up next at 735 on JR Morning. There is a shakeup in the Tigers broadcasting booth with a brand new face in Jason Benetti this season, but a face that people know quite well is Craig Monroe. He will be sitting right next to him. Simo joins us this morning. Six of his nine seasons played with the Tigers. You will be lead analyst for the second season in a row. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Jamie. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm up early. Couldn't couldn't wait, excited to talk to you guys and talk a little Tiger baseball. Spring training is upon us, and uh, there should be a lot of excitement. You know, it's the first official workout today. What do you see happening in this Tigers organization? Optimism? More bats? Yeah, bigger what, hitters? Well, I, I'm going to start with the pitching, Jimmy. I think that's been the uh, that's been really the key. Uh, for this for this Tigers organization, going in, dating back to uh, the last couple of years, where they've really kind of turned the curve. Uh, I think they're ahead of the bats uh, right now. Uh, I do love what Chris Fetter, the pitching coach, and Robin Lund, who's been you know called the scientist of pitching, is what they've done with this young uh, pitching staff. Now they did go out and they signed Kent to Maeda. He's going to be the you know the veteran on the staff and kind of show the little the youngers the way. Uh, but then on the offensive side, you speak of uh, Mark Canna. He's an on-base machine. He's an example of what you want your batters, your, the other young hitters in the lineup uh, to model. And he, and he gets after. He grinds out every at-bat. So I think the Tigers organization, Scott Harris and A.J. Hinn, they're excited about adding a guy like Mark Canna who can kind of lead the veteran hitters, I mean the younger hitters, uh, and kind of show them the way. We've got a lot of amazing young arms, Craig. I mean, we've got Mize, we've got Manning, Reese Olsen. Um, and then we've got uh, some vets like Tarek Skubal that are bouncing back off of injury. Where are we with, with those guys and in, in their state of rehab and readiness? Well, both, I mean, Casey Mize should be at full health. Uh, towards the end of the season last year, watched several of his bullpens. He wasn't throwing anything with the wrinkle, but he was, you know, 95-plus with his fastball. He was showing excellent command of that fastball. So I'm encouraged and excited for him to be back in 2024, uh, back in the trenches. I mean, that's where players, that's where we want to be. We want to play. We want to be in the trenches, in those dogfights with our teammates. And now that he's healthy, I know he's excited about getting back uh, and competing. Reese Olsen was very impressive to me last season. 
here's a young kid that just had ice water in his veins. Oh. Just didn't seem to be overwhelmed with anything. And with that wicked slider and changeup mix with his secondary pitches, and when he has that real good fastball command, I mean, he's going to be tough on any opposing lineup. So I look forward to watching him navigate uh, through a lineup as well. And if you go back to Terry Skubo, the last 15 starts of the season, I mean, he you could make the argument he was the best pitcher in all of baseball. He just overpowered uh, guys with that uh, upper 90s fastball, 99-mile-per-hour fastball, top of the zone. And he really started to use the changeup. So, again, this, this pitching staff has really done an excellent job of putting game plans together, seeking up mechanics to allow these guys to maximize uh, their ability. Greg, I know two different sports, but we just have been on a high. We were on a high with the Detroit Lions and what they've done uh, for the organization and for the city of Detroit. Do you see that the uh, Tigers organization and the players want to c- try to continue that that high that we're on uh, here in the city and, and, and really played and do well this year? No, I do. Uh, given that the uh, division, the American League Central, is not the strongest division, uh, you can make the argument that the Tigers are I, – I believe this wholeheartedly. They, we've got a chance to win the division. I've said it out loud that I believe that we are going to win the division uh, because of how we, we beat up on the American League Central last year. The Tigers struggled against the American League East, and if we could, if we could just be more competitive in the East, and I think we will be when you you start thinking about guys like Kent Maeda taking the bump, Terrence Tubo hopefully returning to form, and again we talk about this offense, younger players, uh, Riley Green, a healthy Riley Green. You talk about what Spencer Torkelson was able to to overcome uh, after his first full season in the big leagues. He hit 30 home runs last year. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that for me in itself, like he, he he's only going to get better. He started hunting pitches that he knows that he can handle, and he was he wasn't missing. He was he got better on the pull side when they started to come inside. He was really getting the bat head out in front. The boys had a little joke going last year that the party was out in front. Uh, he was partying out in front for sure because he was hitting the long ball. Hard hit rate was way up. You love that. Riley Green, if he's healthy again. And you got to talk about Coke Keith. Tigers went out and signed him. Six year, 28 million. He hasn't swung, he hasn't hit, he hasn't gotten a hit at the major league level. <laughs> <laughs> so that tells you how much they think about this young man. He's, he's a character guy, he's a grinder, he's a winner, and he just wants to get after you every single day. Well, guys, collectively, this is what they're building. And you, you, you kind of take that Lions mentality and what we've seen with Dan Campbell is that they grind you out and they just keep grinding and then you knock them down, they get right back up and they keep coming. Well, that's what the culture has been created at the, in the Tigers clubhouse. Guys are going to get after you on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively and on the mound. We, we all should be getting a little bit excited now. We're not going to say that they're going to win the World Series. We're just going to tell you that they're going to be a very competitive team uh, in 2024. Uh, Craig, it's a, it's a new era without Mickey, and I'm told that Javier Baez is going to be in his locker, so maybe there's some sort of magic transference there. Oh, my God, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, with you. I'm with you guys. I am definitely with you guys on that. Um, and talk about A.J. Hinch just leading the ship, this veteran in his position. Well, I just love the way he handles uh, his players. He's got an open-door policy. 
he doesn't let things linger. He's he's going to address it uh, right away. I mean, I've told this story before. He's a great communicator. Uh, he was communicating when he was playing the game as a backup catcher down in Toledo or in Toledo with me back. Well, I'm going to tell my age back in the day. So. I just had an experience with him that allowed me to believe that he's the right guy for the job. The guys seem to rally around him, and he's very strategic in, in the way he operates uh, and how he calls. I mean, how he goes about, you know, getting the guys in the right positions uh, to succeed. He pushes those right buttons. You talk about pinch hitting. Last year, one of the we we were in the top five in pinch hitting, if not top three. Uh, use pinch hitters. Well, guys were coming up big, and it was the I, what I loved about it. When I talked to the guys like Badu, uh, it was telling me that they were already prepared for the bat in the eighth inning or the ninth inning. They were already prepared for that guy that they were going to face in the fifth inning. So they're just always seems they always this staff seems to always be ahead, and and the, and they are well aware of what's going on in the t- and how they can take advantage of the weaknesses of other teams. And I think that's what a manager is all about. Lead by example, show up, don't ride the emotional roller coaster, stay the course, trust the guys. And then that's how I believe the guys start to trust each other. And we started to see this clubhouse really come together and start pulling the same way. This is a good group of guys that, that pulls for each other. And I think AJ Hinch, no question has a lot to do with it. I got to ask you, Craig, I know you are a professional. You prep for every game. But has your off-season preparation included a trip to your tailor? Are we going to see some of the, the landmark style that we have come to Well, a he's going to do radio, too. Are you going to dress up for radio? No, Jamie, that, that's when I'm going to take a break. <laughs> I'm not going to dress up on the radio. Now I'm going to try to you know, pull off something. But I will definitely be, you know, definitely have on some. I've been to the tailor. I've got something special for opening day. I'm looking forward to opening day. I always try to bring something, you know, some fly, some fancy, colorful. Yeah. You it's, always it's do. Yeah. Day, there's not a party. It's, it's, just, it's no better party than a Detroit <laughs> opening day party. Well, so right. I got to be dressed for the I got to be dressed for the, for the okay. occasion. Okay, Craig. Lloyd and I will both dress too, <laughs> and uh, we will have a style showdown, a GQ. Let's uh, do it. Uh, match off <laughs> opening day when we take the show downtown. By the way, opening day is Friday, April 5th. Let's all get ready. Get wow. your outfits ready. Craig, we can't wait to hear you on radio and see you on television. I, I mean, I can't wait, Jim. I'm really excited to be doing both. Listen, this is, I'm learning as I go, and, I, and I've learned so much over the last few years. Uh, and then last year, getting a chance to be in the booth. Uh, again, I talked about putting in the work. It's just like playing a game. Yeah. Uh, I just got to keep putting in the work, keep getting better, and, and sky's the limit to what I, I believe I can become here. And you know what? Who better to give him props than Dan Dickerson said, Craig, you really put in the work. So thank you. We can't wait for the season. Yeah. Have a great day. All right. You guys, too. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Next on JR Morning, we're going to talk about small businesses and the future of small business in our state. But I think the future of the Detroit Tigers is bright. The stock is rising. Good (laughs) thing. You know, change means more reliable energy for homes and businesses all across the state of Michigan. And Consumers Energy knows keeping the lights on, it's got to be job one. So from tree trimming to bearing lines to the new technology that can shift power capacity around in an outage situation, they've got plans for fewer and shorter 
outages for you, the consumer. Last year, they cleared tree branches for more than 7,000 miles of power lines. They replaced poles with sturdier materials, things that can withstand higher winds and more extreme weather. They also added the smart technology that will be employed when there is extreme weather. So their reliability roadmap is in vogue every day so that even the worst storm will not affect more than 100,000 customers. And all customers get power back on within 24 hours. Consumers Energy, a force of change, a force for you. We try to keep our finger on the pulse of business here uh, in the state of Michigan and uh, the way things were trending. By the way, the Dow futures have now flipped. They are in the green, signaling that this will be a nice bounce back uh, and open for uh, on the on the open at uh, nine thirty. We'll see what happens there after the big sell off yesterday. Meantime, uh, the Small Business uh, Association of Michigan taking the temperature of Michigan's small business owners, and we're seeing a slide in optimism. What's behind that? Who better to ask than Brian Kelly, president and CEO of that association? Brian, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me back on the show. So give us a sense. What is the why do are we seeing is is it an increase in pessimism or maybe just a reality check that things aren't moving forward as fast as these business owners would like? We see at the same time uh, a decrease in optimism and an increase in pessimism over the last two years. It's a moderate trend, but it's a consistent uh, slide in that in that confidence level. And it really coincides with two years of, of a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uh, turmoil, um, high in inflation, borrowing costs that come along with that inflation, uh, economic um, un- uncertainties as well. So really, when we, when we asked directly, what are your, what's your single biggest problem? There were three answers that kind of rose to the top and all pretty close in, their, uh, in the overall responses. Number one was the economy and uh, the concerns of the economy uh, still linger even though you look at these top line economic statistics people say hey it looks like the economy is doing really well just keep in mind though like consider the retail business yeah the retail business might look good at the top line but more and more of that share going to amazon means that there's a lot of under that that growth line under that um that that increase there's a lot of a lot of places and a lot of businesses that are still decreasing it's just so much has changed there number two was inflation uh, people think inflation is, is coming down. We saw the report yesterday, which was a little disappointing. So it was mm-hmm. still in kind of the normal range, but hadn't come down as much as expected. And that's what businesses are saying is that, look, it's they still haven't fit the uh, the last two years of cost increases into the business. Like you had two years of high inflation, and that pushes prices up, especially wages, benefits, health care costs, all that stuff. So Lower inflation just means that those costs are increasing at a slower level than before. They still haven't figured out how to deal with the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then the third issue is the labor supply issue. And when you talk about labor, Brian, is it because of the, the pandemic caused this? Well, we definitely saw the, a decrease in labor force participation coming out of the pandemic. For the kind of prime working uh, ages, We've seen a pretty good recovery from that to pre-pandemic levels, mm-hmm. but the um, but it's, even at pre-pandemic levels, it was pretty uh, it was pretty tough. You know, that was a, an issue, a weakness that we had in our state uh, even before um, this that dip that we experienced. But the problem is that the forecast doesn't look all that good. We have outbound 
net outbound migration in Michigan. There are more people that die than are born every year in Michigan. So just over the horizon, this is one of those issues, availability of, of workforce. There's nothing uh, to that makes it look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. Um, part of your survey here, Brian, says 44% of owners say they're preparing for a possible recession and cutting expenses. Is that sort of, uh, what do you think about that? Is that too negative? No, actually, the, um, the the overall, that was just those that are, are cutting expenses. But those that are doing something, if you include like hiring freezes and um, and delaying capital expenditures, it's 61% are taking action to prepare for a uh, a potential recession. And this is something I think that we, we pay a lot of close attention to. So optimism is one thing, but when you ask the question, are are you concerned enough to where you're taking action mm-hmm. to prepare and deal for it? And, and to have almost two thirds of business saying, yeah, whether it's hiring freezes or cutting expenses or uh, delaying um, capital expenditures, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm not feeling comfortable enough. I'm I'm mm-hmm. taking some action to get ready for that possibility. I think that's something for uh, for people to really pay attention to. It's not unusual for small business owners to feel difficulties in the economy before the overall economy feels it. Brian, what might lighten the mood? Um, would I mean if the Fed comes in with maybe one or two rate cuts, would that lighten things up and make uh, your folks more optimistic? Certainly for the um, for those that ha- are capital intensive, those who have to borrow in order to uh, to to do business or to expand, the interest rates would would be a, a boost to, to reduce the interest rates. But that's not likely to happen until um, you know late spring or summer. And, and who knows? That'll depend on the on the data. I, I felt like the Federal Reserve at the end of last year, tried to set the expectation that, hey, early in 2024, there'll be rate cuts. Um, but this last meeting that they had, they tried to kind of walk that back and say, well, not yet. And, you know, unfortunately, they, they're looking at the inflation numbers. They're probably right. It is a little too early mm-hmm. uh, to do that if you're more concerned about uh, inflation, which obviously they, they still are, because while, while inflation has come down, that CPI that everybody looks like looks at has come down core inflation is higher. So you have the, you know, fuel and food costs have come down, but those are commodities that move up and down quickly and kind of independently of that core inflation. Core inflation has proven to be very, very difficult because it's highly tied to labor and labor costs are still, and benefit costs are still rising at a rate quite a bit higher than CPI. All right, Brian. um, Yeah, I mean, I I think it's interesting. There seems to be a growing consensus we're going to get a soft landing, but it seems that small businesses aren't sure that it's going to reach all the way here to Michigan. We'll hope that uh, that that's rectified in the next couple of months. Thanks so much for this survey. Also, some interesting stuff in here about AI. You can find that at uh, sbam.com. Thanks, Brian. Thanks so much. That disappointing inflation report, uh, it, you know, it showed progress, but just not the same rate is what we would have liked to have seen, causing a little havoc on Wall Street yesterday and setting us on a wild ride. More than 500-point loss on the Dow. Trending up this morning, so it looks like they're going to be in bounce-back mode. Meantime, it is notable when the guy who arguably has the best name <laughs> recognition and the best name ID pulls out of a Senate race and his first one to cash in. Yeah. Uh, former Detroit Police Chief James Craig halting his Republican Senate bid for Michigan just four months after his launch, citing financial constraints. 
Craig, uh, was a prominent candidate, sought support from President Trump, former President Trump, but struggled to gain that momentum. He raised about $60,000 uh, by the end of 2023. He is now looking at maybe trying to be mayor of the city of Detroit. His uh, exit narrows the GOP field, competing to replace retiring Senator Debbie Stabenow. It's a crowded field. You got Mike Rogers there and Peter Meyer. Rogers leading in fundraising, though, about $2 million he's amassed. Meanwhile, on the Democratic side, you have Alyssa Slotkin dominating fundraising. She has about $11.7 million she's raised. Craig's political journey, as you know, Guy, was uh, kind of marred by that 2022 gubernatorial bid that derailed by fraudulent signatures. You Wasn't alone that? with that. I mean, no. that derailed a bunch of folks. But a bunch of people, yeah. I got to tell you, this, is, this was a second bite of the apple, and he still had to spit it out. No. In the final analysis. And the thing is, you know, he does have name recognition. He does. I think he campaigns and presents himself well, but he doesn't network well. So where is this group of folks that are willing to open their checkbooks for you? He says, I've got the support, but this was a business decision. Well, the business of politics <laughs> is fundraising. Yeah. And that's support. The fundraising. And if, yeah. And if you can't do that, uh, you've got a major problem no matter what you're running. That's right. And I think he faces an even taller challenge where if you look at Mary Sheffield right now in Detroit, she has worked very well to put together those coalitions that you need. Exactly. For the funding moving forward. Uh, Overnight, we saw in New York's third congressional district, Long Island, part of Nassau County, a Democrat prevail on a seat that was held by George Santos, there's a lot of Monday morning quarterback analysis on that. Well, this is this is magination failing again, is what the Trump detractors are saying. Mm-hmm. Democrats are saying, well, this is because we now have better ideas on what to do with the southern border. Yeah. Is it okay. possible that both are <clears throat> flat out wrong? Yeah. We yes. Have, yeah. We, we had a great discussion with Jason Rowe. And Jason says simply, you know, be very careful about reading too much into this one district. The reality is this is a heavily Democratic seat that Joe Biden won by eight points. Um, a, a, a former Democratic congressman was the Democratic nominee. He uh, recently ran for governor of New York. This is the most expensive media market in the country. And Republicans recruited a Democrat to be <laughs> the Republican nominee with little name ID. No. And the spending uh, disparity was overwhelming. So if, for Republicans to win that seat would have really been a miracle to begin with and i think that's a mistake republicans have been making and that's a great reality check for everybody mm-hmm. that wants to draw very broad conclusions from one district race that has traditionally been a democrat district and that's jason Rowe, former executive director of the michigan republican party uh the minute that mozzie lost this race uh trump tweeted that she's a very foolish woman which is offensive I think. Yeah. Why not say um, not our strongest candidate? Um, you know, there's so many things that you can. Or why not say nothing? Yeah. They could turn, <laughs> that, that's an they option. Could turn into a positive. <laughs> that ramp is never taken. No. <laughs> you know, what is interesting, and I mean, I've been told by folks that have been talking to his campaign, he isn't going to be playing kingmaker this election cycle on congressional and, and gubernatorial races because he did a pretty bad job of it. Like the kiss of death. In, in 2022. Yeah. So. He he has stepped back. That doesn't mean he's going to hold his fire when things don't go his way. And to his point, Nikki Haley, of course, immediately said, well, this is because this is a MAGA fail. 
Yeah. Uh, and he's going to push back on that. I mean, speaking <clears throat> of fire, Nikki Haley continues to throw bombs at Trump. Uh, she hasn't been this forceful ever, but she takes great offense to how Trump treated her, her family and her husband's service. This is her on that been anywhere near a military uniform. He's never had to sleep on the ground. He's never known how to sacrifice. And the most harm he's ever possibly had is getting hit by a golf ball when he's sitting in a golf cart. That's the truth. Burn. Mm. Hey, come on. He had bone spurs. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. I mean, she. it doesn't seem like she has a path to winning anything, but she's still in the race and she's throwing some bombs. Right. Now, we've got um, an election on the 27th. We've got this this massive amount of people, 86% that say they think that President Biden is too old to serve. A majority that believe that Donald Trump is too old to serve. So why aren't they supporting alternatives? That's really the big question about, for, for me, for this primary election in Michigan, which, by the way, the voting starts on Saturday with mm-hmm. early voting. Why aren't you out there supporting alternatives if you believe that both of these men are too old or are unfit for a variety is this a loyalty thing? Of, of reasons. There's certainly a huge depth of loyalty for mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Especially this, in primaries. Mm-hmm. No question about it. I mean, he was like a construction guy with a punch list. I, I'm going to deliver on this. Bam. Building the wall. Bam. Cutting taxes. And so if you look at it on a lot of the core things, he in the the perception is he delivered. Yes. Um, you know, Nikki Haley has made a pretty strong argument that, and so did, you know, she's sounding like more like Chris Christie she is. every day. Yeah. Like she sounds <clears throat> completely different in the last two weeks than she did in the, During the several debates. months prior. Yeah. yeah. The debates, she, she was pretty quiet. Yesterday was a tough day up in East Lansing. It was a tough day here close to home as the victims of the Michigan State University uh, shootings were remembered. Normal, no more so. <laughs> and we are so blessed to live in a community with a heart the size of Michigan. Yeah. And, and we saw that on just heartwarming display yesterday uh, in the city of Clawson, where um, a, a, they remembered a, a young woman who, uh, whose life was cut short here, Alex Verner. She was a basketball player, softball player, luminary. I mean, she was just a, a, light, a bright light who was dimmed far too soon. And, but, I mean, did this community show up for this family? But the family, not bitter, certainly grief-stricken, but turned the tribute of their daughter into a tribute to the community. They were so self-effacing and so generous. This is Nancy Verner, Alex's mother. It's not me who deserves the applause. It's all of you guys that are here. But believe me, we are not standing here. Our family is not standing here without the love and the support of not only our Clawson community, but the community around Michigan. The worst thing that could ever befall a parent, and they're being so self-effacing. Because the community really helped them, and that community is really strong. It's a small community, but they are really a caring community, Clawson. And this family chose not to go to Michigan State to celebrate. There were a lot of things going on uh, in remembrance at Michigan State, but this family clearly has a connection to Clawson, wanted to be around their Clawson family during this moment. And Ted Verner said he's reminded, this is Alex's dad, every day, he says there are little, you know, kind of, quite honestly, little Valentines, little statements of support and love from his neighbors. Clawson is a very small city, and so when I go to work and I see 30 
um, MSU strong signs on people's front lawn a year later. That means they took that sign down, mowed their lawn, and put it back up. It, it, the strength that it gives me, the, the joy that it brings to me to know that we have that type of support. Nancy and I go to dinner in class, and we run into so many people. It's the reason we live here is because of the love and support we have. And, and I know Brian Frazier, Ariel Anderson lived on the east side. I know mm-hmm. Gross Point supported these families. Same kind of deal because this was horrible. And I, I just can't believe it happened. Brian Frazier, Ariel Anderson, Alexandria Werner. Bright lights. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and truly on this day when we celebrate love of a romantic variety, mm-hmm. I got to tell you, community love, we lead the league. It's pretty, those, these are big moments. Yeah. And Tom Izzo knows how to, uh, yeah, to sort of sum it up how we're feeling. He did. Uh, he spoke uh, during a press conference yesterday as the team was on its way to take on uh, Penn State, and he acknowledged uh, the ongoing pain felt by many as they reflect on that violence that took those three young lives and injured five others. God bless the ones that we lost, the ones that have been affected, and uh, please remember, don't ever forget them. By all means, I encourage everybody to take a pause, remember it, think about what you could do to help make the situation better. Yeah. And that's all you need to say, basically. And, and thank, thank you, you, Tom, for your leadership. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, real leadership. Uh, when we come back, Marvin's Marvelous Mechanical Museum, a place of wonderful memories for so many Metro Detroiters. Does it have a future? We'll be talking with the owner next on JR Morning. Meantime, we are thrilled to invite you on something new, something special, something we've never done before with the WJR Travel Club, and that is we are headed to Southeast Asia. This is, has become one of the hottest destinations because it is such a wonderful cultural experience. There, uh, we're going to be traveling up the Mekong River on our very own luxury riverboat, just us WJR listeners enjoying this immersive experience into the culture, the religions, and the life on the river for the South in Cambodia and Vietnam. There are floating villages. There are floating markets. We'll be visiting all of that. Angkor Wat, which is the largest temple of its kind in the world, so ancient, goes back to the 1100s. We're going to be experiencing it all with local experts to guide us everywhere and to make this story Come to life for us. And we hope that you will join us. You can check out the full itinerary at wjrtravelclub.com. And uh, we hope you will consider coming with us. It is just going to be a fantastic experience. Uh, And if you want to learn more about it, the number to call is 800-383-3131. 800-383-3131. We've got cruise and tour experts on hand right now to answer all of your questions. We hope you will join us for a once-in-a-lifetime experience. The wildlife, the markets, the cuisine, the food, all of it. Coming up in September. Check out WGRTravelClub.com and join us. With the recent news of the Hunter Square Shopping Center at 14 Mile in Orchard Lake potentially facing demolition, the owner of Marvin's Marvelous Mechanical Museum has a reassuring message for all the supporters and patrons who have cherished this museum over the years. And joining us on the JR Morning Live line is Jeremy Yagoda, who's here to share his optimism and determination to keep that magic of Marvin's alive. Jeremy, good morning. Good morning. 
You know, you've received a lot of love and support from the community. And we were just talking about community uh, just uh, a moment ago. Your dad opened this iconic establishment over 43 years ago, and you kept his memory alive. You want to continue to do that? Absolutely. It's just a fun thing to do every day. I get to deal with great people in a marvelous mood and a marvelous environment and create memories for families. Um, Jeremy, I didn't have kids until just recently, and I live on the other side of town. So if people like me didn't know about your museum, what is it? We are a sensory overload, one man's passion gone <laughs> wild. I have, it's heaven. I have it is. games from the 1890s to the most modern video games out there and a little bit of everything in between. Well, that sounds fun. So, And you host birthday parties and things like that is what I heard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we're going to be able to move and find a better location. So I'll be able to actually have some private party rooms to give people a little bit even better birthday than we can do right now. Well, and let's talk about that. How receptive I am a big fan of the Meyer organization and the Meyer family. How receptive have they been to your entreaties or proposals to, to have a role in what they're going to be doing in their redevelopment of that space? You know, we're actually not being replaced by Meyer. Meyer is going to be, it's a small footprint, grocery store only, and we're being torn down for another phase of the development. But the Meyer family has posted on Facebook that they support us and hope that the new landlord will be able to include us in the future plans. The city of Farmington Hills, the mayor has spoken at the meetings and you know, really expressed her interest with the landlord keeping us around there as well. So I, I really don't have any definitive answers from the landlord yet. They have said they would like us to stay around, but not they have not offered us any plans or options yet. I just really hope we can stay, work something out to stay in that general location. I want to stay in the community if we can't stay in that same mall. Did they give you a, a basically a deadline on when you would have to move? Well, our lease is through the beginning of January, so we have about 10 more months. Um, they have not given us any specific date or told us if it's going to be any longer than that yet. So just kind of sitting here waiting and curious and confused. Um, when it comes to the support and the people that just came out and said, oh, we love this museum, it can't move, it can't go anywhere else, what do you think your dad would say about all this support? You know, I mean, it's funny. A lot of people have been saying my dad would be rolling over in his grave during all of this. And, you know, I think he would be upset like I am, but at the same time, I, I think that he would be excited about the opportunities and possibilities to go to the next level and do more and different things. My dad was always a very positive person, and he would say, when life gives you lemons, make, the, make lemonade. we got to make the best out of what's in front of us. I have no desire to close or go away, so something will work out. I have faith and confidence. I believe in the free market, and where there's demand, there's usually right. a way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. i got to ask you, Jeremy, I mean, I'm a guy that if I look at the devices that I have just in my house— from the DVR to the remotes that control those things, you know, I, I can't ever get keep this stuff working full time. How do you keep all of those machines going? You know, I am so fortunate. My brother-in-law works with me as my general manager, and he loves that stuff. 
he loves to tinker. He's very intelligent with electronics and figuring those things out. So I'm fortunate my brother-in-law really fixes about 90% of the problems we have. Wow, because, I mean, you've got both circuit board issues with your electronic stuff, but then you've got the old-school mechanical thing that requires a totally different skill set. You know, but the fortunate thing is everybody thinks that it's gotten harder to deal with the old mechanical stuff. But with scanners and 3D printers, it's actually a lot easier to make parts in these days. Mm -hmm. Because you used to have to try to find somebody with a machine shop who could fit you into their busy schedule for a one of piece. So it's actually gotten a little bit better, surprisingly. I would think, too. I mean, I know technology is is, always evolving. Does AI play a part in this down the line somewhere? It definitely could, you know, but we're not there yet, fortunately. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the Well, ask thing. that fortune teller machine you that got. Was going to yes. Yeah. Do you have that one from the movie Big? <laughs> you know, that's one of the most famous questions we get, and unfortunately, the one from Big is a totally fake machine that was just made for that oh, okay. movie. They could never actually do that because of the different coins and weights of rolling into the mouth and everything. But we have some great vintage fortune tellers, and we have some modern ones that have been built just for us as well. Well, I do have a a kid now. I have a little girl, so maybe I'll head over the other side of town and check you out. We're not just for little kids. We're for kids from 1 to 101. Well, then I'll bring my husband, too. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Several years ago, we actually had a 101-year-old woman who wanted to have her birthday party there and did because there were things she remembered from when she was a kid, and it was just amazing to see how excited her and her friends were. Well, Jeremy, you go to thank you so much for being here. We wish you all the luck in keeping uh, uh, Marvin's Marvelous Mechanical Museum uh, on tap. Thank you so much. Thank you, and you guys all have a marvelous day. I appreciate your time. You too. Coming up at 835, Charlie Kroll, president of Cruise and Tour, the hottest destinations, the best travel value. Up next. Coming out of the pandemic, man, were we ready to shake off the cabin fever and hit the road again and experience life and travel and a lot of folks have done that, but now we've got the scourge of inflation this perception that maybe our dollar won't go as far as it used to, and it begs the question, are there some really great travel values out there? And so who better to ask than one of our favorite partners, uh, Charlie Crawl here from Cruise and Tour, that has uh, hosted uh, Gail and I on two wonderful trips, one to Normandy, one to Africa, and now we're headed off to Cambodia and Vietnam. But, Charlie, we had a great discussion last night about this. There is this sense for a lot of people that, gosh, Maybe some of these things are outside my budget. Good morning and welcome. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. And Jamie and Lloyd, really appreciate it. You as well. What would, Give us a sense of the, the values that are out there and, and how our listeners can navigate this these value concerns. Yeah, I think, you know, a couple of things are really prevalent in in the top kind of trends of travel right now. And one of them is when people are thinking about where they're going to go and what they're going to do, um, value is at the top of that. Uh, you know, what I'm going to spend, but what am I going to get for what I spend? And and a lot of that, people are looking for unique experiences and local immersion. And that's 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 right at the very top of kind of people's bucket list. I don't want to just go to a destination. 
I want to make sure that instead of just going on a tour and walking past something, that they're actually going to experience it. They're going to see it. They're going to touch it. They're going to learn from it. Um, and so that's, you know, that's what really brought us to this Vietnam and Cambodia trip for, for you guys here. So people are, when they, when they go on these trips, uh, they are really immersed in the culture and in the people. And that's what a lot of travelers want now. They want to, to, to really learn about where they are going and have somebody really tell them what's happening. Yeah, it went from, you know, kind of going on a bus and driving past something to now walking past it now to going in. And so, you know, an example, you know, a couple examples on this trip that we've got coming up here, we're going to be doing a cooking class where they're going to learn how to make spring rolls. Um, on the, make in the sure mo- you have the Cambodian fire department somewhere beside <laughs> me. <laughs> you know, the, in, in obviously uh, wellness is a big trend in travel. So every morning, you know, guys like, hey, we'd love to get on top of, you know, the we own the boat. Let's go on and do some yoga. So we're going to be doing, you know, yoga. And each day, if you think about it, we're going to be in a different setting uh, doing that. You know, instead of instead of just kind of walking up to the Grand Palace that we're going to visit, we're actually going to get on one of those three-wheel bikes and, and ride up there. And, you know, so you're, you're really kind of seeing and doing. We're going to be doing a, a monk blessing where we go to a meditation center and, and learn about that, but also participate in uh, the blessing. We're going to be doing some dancing lessons for uh, you and, and Gail here. We're actually even going to do a cocktail making competition on board, you know, to learn some Vietnamese Fun. cocktails. Uh, <laughs> I think Gail and Guy are going to challenge the, the guests to a little competition. So, we are. you know, it's going to it's going to be those types of experiences that people you can't really quantify in terms yeah. of value what those mean until you've actually had them. And then you come home saying, wow, this was way more than I possibly could have imagined it being. Did you see the look that Mr. Jackson just gave you when you mentioned cocktails? It was the, do you know what you're getting into? <laughs> we certainly know you, Guy. And uh, and uh, so, yeah, we think that's going to be a lot of fun. That's what this is all about is is having a lot of fun. But, you know, when we talk about the value of this trip, a lot of people go on and they say, like, well, well what does this cost me? And and you've got to think about it in terms of, well, this is a two-week vacation. What would it take me to figure out how to put together this two-week vacation, all these places to go? How do I know I'm going to have great guides or get, you know, the best value for my experience or eat in incredible restaurants? And, you know, so when you kind of list this off, you know, not only do you fly there, but we're flying on Singapore Airlines, which is literally the number one best airline in, in the world. Uh, you know, we've got great hotel accommodations in the perfect locations at the beginning and the end of the trip. Uh, you're obviously on our own private boat for, for seven days. You have expert guides. You have all your meals included. Like, think about, like, you know, when there's 29 meals, what that could add up to wow. on a, yes. if, you're, if you're doing this on your own. And, you know, the thing about these meals is you're not going to be sitting there, you know, ordering from a menu. Uh, you're going to be, uh, they're going to be bringing out their local favorites so you can try kind of everything. You don't have to pick and choose. And if you like something, you get to know that. All right, I'm going to try this here. I'm going to mm-hmm. try that there. And mm-hmm. so, you know, your gratuities, the visa costs, your taxes, your fees, all of that kind of stuff is included in the package. So when you look at the price, you start saying, wow, two weeks like to do that. Uh, those are the types of experiences folks are really looking to have nowadays here. Charlie, how do you pick your tour guides or your local experts? Because that can make it or break it. Yeah, absolutely. So our, our product um, director, uh, Bethany, spent years in this location to pick a lot of these experiences that we just stopped and create these personal relationships. So it's 
It's all based on the personal relationships that we have there, knowing, all right, Guy and Gail, we've got a group of Detroiters or Michiganders coming here. Uh, we're going to put the perfect guide with them who knows, you know, these guys want to have some fun. They want to they want to be immersed. They don't want, uh, you know, to be hassled with the details. Uh, and so that that one specifically is from Bethany's personal relationships that she has in that region. So it's 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 a hand picked guide for this trip here. So when you talk about value it, it, it is the personal connections and the one personal connection that we haven't talked about and when, you know when we were in tanzania it was the maasai tribe it was the orphanage that we visited that your mother has been so instrumental in helping um when we were in normandy it was our guide who had interviewed personally 1200 american gis who were there on d-day many of them departed but he could keep their stories alive for us those are the personal connections which give you real value the other one is the WJR listeners. We've had more fun making friends with our listeners on these trips. And that's the other part that I don't want, I want to make sure that nobody overlooks. It really is. It, it's, you kind of turn into a big family very quickly. Yeah, when you think about traveling halfway around the world and, you know, all right, you could take a leap of faith and hope that the people on the boat with you are of similar interest or are going to help enhance your experience. Or you can just guarantee that, you know, and that's that's part of this travel here is that we're traveling with a group of like minded people who know the value of the WJR Travel Club. They know they're traveling with Michiganders. And a lot of times these folks have traveled already together because they met on a previous trip. And so they'll call up Megan or Anna or Deanna and they'll say, hey, uh, not only do we want to go, but our friends are going to be booking their calling in like five minutes. Can you make sure we're roomed next to each other? You know, and Mm -hmm. and, and it really makes uh, a completely different. It takes it, you know, again, how do you put a a dollar on that you know what, what is what does that actually mean and people come back and say wow that's the way i want to travel from now on so it's it's a pretty cool uh, experience i know you and gail are a pretty great time so uh, it's it adds a whole lot i know you were the first night I, I i was checking in on um guy at the in tanzania and he's like oh yeah nope well, i'm with your mom we got a beer in hand we're good to go everything's everything's <laughs> great you know so you know it's gonna be it's gonna be an absolute blast and the number to call if you want your questions answered about this is 800 383 3131 or to look at the entire itinerary and let me tell you it will whet your appetite what uh, you go to wjrtravelclub.com and i got to tell you um we we can't sell the beauty of southeast asia short here when you look at the pictures here whether it's angkor wat whether it's the mekong river the lush vegetation that we will be seeing as we travel the freshwater dolphins that sometimes tail the boat it's it's unlike any other experience you'll find uh, because it's such a diverse wildlife and, and landscape. Yeah, I think, you know, you start off in a cityscape in uh, Ho Chi Minh City. And then, you know, obviously along the river, it's, you know, one part about cruising, like if you think about ocean cruising, like there's an ocean. But, you know, as you're enjoying that, you know, yoga session or that cocktail on the top deck, you've got floating you know landscapes changing all the time you know and in one case we'll we'll hop off the boat and and float over to a floating market because that's uh you know what villagers do they go from their village that we've just passed 10 miles ago and another one here and they all gather together uh in this really cool community gathering where we get to kind of float right into there and see what they're selling in their boats um and we know that there are some places that view tourists as an inconvenience 
that's not the situation in in Cambodia or Vietnam. No, that's it's the exact opposite. In fact, these are the, these people will make your vacation because it's it's they want you there. They want to uh, show you their country. They they take mm-hmm. deep pride in showing you their country. So they're they're genuinely interested in having those interactions with you. And by the way, we should point out. Uh, Kevin's got a trip uh, underway. Paul and Kim have a trip underway. There's a, you know, there's a lot of other things, but this Cambodia trip is going to be a first for you and WJR, and we look forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing. All, I'm seeing the pictures, hearing the stories. That's what I uh, really love hearing when, when you guys come back. You don't and, go? Well, not on this one. No, okay. no. no we gotta we gotta take care of all the other stuff that's happening around. But uh, we we make sure everyone's in good hands. For well, sure. and I've got about eight videos up on YouTube from the Tanzania trip. And for those that want to check those out, it'll give you a sense too of what a WJR Travel Club experience and cruise and tour experience is like. Yeah, it'll be, it's good fun. Charlie, thanks so much. Hey, really appreciate you guys giving me the time today. It's uh, it's been a it's been a blast hanging out with you today. WJRCrabbleClub.com. Charlie Krull, president of Cruise and Tour. When we come back, you know it's Valentine's Day. I just got the cutest video from a grandchild. But you know, for a lot of folks, it can bring anxiety. It can bring a sense of loneliness. So, how do we address that with loved ones or friends that might be going through that? We'll talk to Henry Ford Health next on JR Morning. During the winter months, we all find ourselves spending a lot more time indoors than we would prefer. And something that kind of goes unnoticed is while we're all cooped up, you know what? The air quality isn't very good in a lot of homes. It's something that we too often as homeowners neglect. We don't change the filters. Let's start with that because my friends at CNC Heating and Air Conditioning and our guys at the Inside Outside Guy say, Guy, you got to tell your listeners about this. It is number one for your health. Change out those filters. It doesn't matter when you do it, but if you do it now, it certainly will have a bigger impact because you're spending more time indoors. Also, have your ductwork cleaned because there are there's a lot of allergens and a lot of nasties in there which can cause you harm. Thirdly, check your carbon monoxide alarms. They are lifesavers. And it's such a low-cost way of keeping your family safe. So don't get stuck breathing unhealthy air in your home. Have CNC Heating and Air Conditioning's nationally certified technicians improve your home air quality by coming out, doing that 21-point inspection that will tell you exactly what you need. And if you need a new carrier furnace, you've got the Carrier Cool Cash Savings event underway right now to save you money. Call CNC Heating and Air Conditioning at 1-800-MY-FURNACE. That's 800-693-8762. Or go to visit uh, cncheat.com. It's easy. cncheat.com. Carrier. Turn to the experts. Happy Valentine's Day to all out there. If you're celebrating, if you're into this sort of thing. But what if you aren't? What if all of the heart-shaped chocolates in the checkout line and the discounts for flowers and your email and all those messages sort of bring up anxiety for you? Let's talk about it with Jeff DeVore, Henry Ford Health Clinical Social Worker specializing in behavioral health. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? Good morning to you. I'm, you know, I think about this at Christmas time when when there are so many messages about uh, family there, and and this time too, it's all about love and your sweetie. What if you're by yourself or even coupled and feel anxiety? Right. Yeah. It's a it's a, a issue that definitely comes up for a, a certain number of people. Um, you know, I was reflecting a little bit on this last night, and I was thinking back. Um, and my, I might be dating myself a little bit here, but, you know, back in grade school, I remember everybody got a Valentine's card, right? There was no, it was a, a sort of an all-inclusive thing, and it was fun. And 
but you know, as we get older and um, into adult life, for a number of people, Valentine's Day can be difficult. It can be anxiety producing. And one of the reasons is because it, it's a, one of those holidays where people start to think about the romantic life, whether they're in a relationship or if they're not in a relationship, uh, certainly can start thinking about and kind of thinking catastrophically or negatively. Um, and yeah, your point's a good one with, you know, uh, certain holidays, you think of family and if you don't have a, a connection with family, it brings up feelings. And so does Valentine's Day. Um, if you want, did you want to ask me a specific question well, or to just give yeah. some explanation? Of, oh, Lloyd and I have yeah. lots of oh, questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Jeffrey, okay. What, what about, what about social media? How, how that plays a part? Because, you know, people see, you know, friends or, or relatives with significant others and they're doing all this fabulous stuff. And it's like, you know, you're either trying to keep up with the Joneses. If you do, if you have a significant other and you're trying to keep up with the Joneses and you can't, or if you don't have a significant other and you see all of this stuff on social media and it kind of makes you feel a certain kind of way. Sure. Absolutely. I, I, you know, it's, it's a, an issue, um, not just on this holiday, but in general, but, Particularly on this holiday, yes. I and that was one of the recommendations I was actually going to make is try try to stay off of social media. If this is a tough holiday for you, um, brings up anxiety or feelings of stress. Avoid that because on social media, there's a tendency I think for most people to to put put the good things that are going on in their life uh, forward and. There's actually a term called compare and despair, uh, which is uh, where exactly what you're describing, mm -hmm. looking at, you know, other people's social media posts or um, how wonderful their Valentine's Day is. What did they get? Um, and that comparison can often lead to anxiety and um, negative feelings. So that's, a, that's an excellent point. Jeffrey, beyond the um, the idea of anxiety, I, I often am reminded that this can be a lonely time for folks. I, I often am reminded of the old Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby, look at all the lonely people. Today's a day when maybe your loneliness is going to be amplified because I, I've got a lot of widows in my life, and I know that the person that would normally be sending them flowers or sending them love isn't there for them anymore. So how do we help those people who may be feeling lonely today? Because I... I always want to say, well, if I reach out, am I reminding them of their loneliness and making them sadder, or can I make them happy by reaching out? I think I think I would definitely say reaching out would be a positive thing. I don't think it's a reminder of uh, their loneliness. I think it would probably be greatly appreciated. Um, I, I think also if somebody's feeling particularly lonely, um, there's things they can do them, themselves. Um, uh, a good practice is to think about the things that you can be grateful for. Uh, who, who, uh, who is in your life? Um, what good things are going on? Um, and that's a way of, of trying to counter some of that negative feeling and some of the feelings of loneliness. But I would say certainly 
if there's somebody that you know is in that type of situation, reaching out to them certainly, I think, would be helpful. Well, it's just saying to them, hey, I, I know that your sweetheart is no longer with us. Uh, they're with us in spirit, mm-hmm. yeah. certainly, and mm-hmm. you've got y- your great memories. Remind them of that, but then also have the grandchildren call because nothing cures yeah. oh, gr- grandma's heartache like a call <laughs> from a grandchild. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That'll, that'll get their their heart going. And, you got and lots of sweethearts, Grandma, you know? Yeah, right, exactly. And you no, s- that's a great idea. And you say also self-care rituals, you know, treat yourself like you would treat your Valentine, and there are a lot of Galentine's events that, you know, women yeah. are gathering together. You you have to say those are positive. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, 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 I was thinking about, you know, there's also, you know, after Thanksgiving, there's are people – who don't have family, they'll have what they call a Friendsgiving uh, celebration. Mm-hmm. I, I think, yes, um, um, you can do the same thing for Valentine's Day, you know, set up a meal with a close friend. Even even doing something, again, over video conference or something like that, building your own traditions. Um, and, and again, the idea is to not fall into a negative mindset or see with anxiety and particularly with anxiety there what happens is people think the worst and get catastrophic i don't mean to cut you off we just have just 20 seconds left sir but thank you jeffrey devore uh henry ford health clinical social worker nice things to think about on a day like today no question reach out to the ones you love and then reach out and join us tomorrow at six (laughs) we'll see you then all talk is next